Hi folks, a very quick announcement before we get started on the episode this week. And that is a huge thank you to Katie Unicorn Stewart. I don't know if your middle name really is Unicorn. If it is, that is an awesome name. So the fabulous Katie Unicorn Stewart gave us a recent review on Apple Podcasts about the recent Governance Summit summary. So five stars for Take On Board, she says. Loved the recent Governance Summit summary podcasts. Super useful. Katie, happy to help. Thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time to do a review. So a little prompt for others that might be listening. I love it when I get reviews and you might get read out on the pod as well. So get in there and work out how to do ratings and reviews and let me know what you think of the pod. All right, on with the show. Hey folks, it's Helia, just popping in here with two very quick announcements. Firstly, there's another Take On Board event coming up very soon on Wednesday the 26th of August. This time we'll be hearing from Linda White. Linda is the Assistant National Secretary of the Australian Services Union and she'll be sharing with us her reflections about the voluntary administration of Virgin Airlines this year and also on the voluntary administration of ANSET almost two decades ago, one of the biggest corporate collapses in Australian history. It is sure to be a fascinating discussion, and whilst you might hear some of it on the podcast in future, you probably won't hear all of it. There will be some stories that I'm sure she will share under Chatham House rules. So get in and book. There is a link in the show notes, and super early bird tickets close this week, so get in soon. Secondly... Today, you're going to hear me talking to Michelle Gibbings about what to do if you have a bad boss in the boardroom. Michelle has just written a book called Bad Boss, What to Do If You Work For One, Manage One or Are One. I figure there's going to be some pretty good advice for some of you out there, so I'm going to give away a few copies. If you'd like to receive an advanced copy of the book, head on over to the Take On Board Facebook group to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Michelle Gibbings about the relationship between the board and CEO, between the CEO and their direct reports, and organisational culture and leadership. You might remember I spoke to Michelle last year about one of her previous books on influence. I'll make sure I put a link to that episode in the show notes, and I'm sure we'll talk about it further, but Michelle has just released a further book uh, called Bad Boss, which unsurprisingly talks about relationships and culture, so we'll talk a bit about that today. First, let me tell you about Michelle. So Michelle is on the board of Arts Law, and she's previously been on the boards of 3MBS and Red Stitch. Michelle is a workplace expert. Internationally recognised, she is the author of three books and is welcomed on stages globally to help inspire leaders, teams and organisations to create successful workplaces. Her mantra is simple, help people thrive and progress is accelerated. 
Welcome to the Take On Board podcast again, Michelle. Thank you. It's so good to be with you. I was laughing with the intro because I thought, welcome on global stages. Well, I haven't actually left my home since March because of COVID. (laughs) Well, global stages are now via Zoom. And in fact, it's interesting. It's almost, inverted commas, easier to be on global stages because you just need to hook into a Zoom or whatever your favourite video platform is, event all over the place. So, um, you know, global stages via Zoom. (laughs) Absolutely. We are living in a very interesting world at the moment. Absolutely. So, Michelle, we're going to talk about boards, relationships, boards, culture, organisational dynamics, all of those things in a moment. But As always, I just always like to dig a little deeper about my guest before we get into that. So can you tell me about your upbringing and some of the lessons that you learnt there and, you know, what the leading influences were on you? I always think I was really fortunate in terms of I grew up in an environment where we were encouraged to learn. Um, My mum was a teacher, my father was an academic And so there was just this imbued in us, this love of learning, you know, every Christmas, every birthday, Easter, you know, you get a gift, but you'd always get books. And I, if I look back then through my corporate career and in the work that I do now, everything has been underpinned by learning. And I often say to people, if you can fall in love with learning, everything in life becomes so much easier because you're willing to adapt and change Because when you think about it, the adaptation requires you to learn something. And when you're fearful of change, it's usually that you're fearful of learning because you're worried about not being able to do something. You're not being worried about being able to cope with something or be able to have the right skills. So if you can love learning, that's going to make all the difference. So I'm so appreciative of my parents because that's what they sort of instilled in me was this love of learning and also a recognition, just do your best. I was never the smartest kid in the class. I used to say, I'm not the smartest kid, but I was the hardest working. And mum and dad would always say, just try your hardest. As long as you've done your best and you've tried your hardest, that's all we can expect of you. And so I think that's another important thing to really hold on to is what is your measurement of success and who are you measuring yourself against? Because I think it's so easy in today's world to measure yourself against all these people who have all these massive profiles and Instagram and this and that. And often they're things that don't really matter. So what's your measurement of success? What's the mark that you're leaving? And how does that, what does that mean for you? How does it connect with who you are and who you want to be and how you show up in the world? And that's the most important thing because then you're being authentically you and living true to your values. Beautiful lessons there already because I think they're key things for directors to think about as well. How are we learning? How are we being authentic in the boardroom? how we're measuring our own success and the success of our organisations. So already some beautiful lessons there for us, Michelle. Um, So thank you to your parents for helping to create you and then for you to share them with us as well. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle, one of the key relationships boards is the relationship they have with their CEO and likewise for that CEO in leading the organisation. And we know that Good culture is key to any organisation and the success of that organisation. From your learning and research, what should boards be on the lookout for in relation to healthy relationships and healthy culture? I think the critical thing is looking at how decisions are made in the organisation. And by that, I mean, 
yes, it's, you know, it's really clear and important to have good decision-making processes and to be clear who's making the decision, but how are people consulted? How are they involved in the decision? Um, how does the CEO listen to other people's ideas? You know, who are their kind of confidants, but also how do they access information? How do they discern from that information what they're listening to and what they're not listening to? You know, I often say to clients, you know, the day you think you're the smartest person in the room is the day that you need to find another room because you've mm. stopped learning. And mm. so if you've got a CEO who thinks they're the smartest person in the room and isn't learning, that will filter through to the organisation and filter through particularly to their direct reports and to the people that they report to. Everyone talks about culture as the way that we do things around here, but I go, well, how? the key part of that is how are you making decisions? Who's got the seat at the table? Who's listening to who? And how is power used in that organisation? How does that show up at your board? You know, the relationships and Learn, being a learning board and how is power used? How does it show up in your boardroom? Look, I think it's also different because, you know, I'm on a not-for-profit board. It's a much smaller board. So you've got different levels of hierarchy. And mm-hmm. so you know, people are much more accessible when you're working on a small board. And so it's easier to see what's going on. It's easier to see the cultural dynamics at play. You know, as a board, we have sessions where the whole organisation turns up because mm-hmm. we'll be doing planning. And that's really important because we're getting people on the ground who are actually seeing and explaining to us what's really going on. Whereas when you've got a really big organisation and you've got so many layers in the organization it's very easy for things to be hidden and I think that's the hardest thing as directors is going how do I really know what's going on how do I make sure that I'm not getting a sanitized or a filtered view of what's going on how do I make sure that the CEO is actually really telling us what's going on and so I think part of that is making sure that you're seeing other people from across the organization and you're spending time with them so it's not just the message coming from the CEO but you're also hearing from other people who you know head of sales head of distribution head of PNC head of marketing or whoever it is that's going to be giving you that different perspective and I also think there's a really critical part that the board plays in one the review of the CEO and what the metrics are used to review the CEO and also culture audits so you're actually getting feedback and data from across the organization as to what's really working and what's not working. So there's some really practical things in there about who shows up in the boardroom and who you're hearing from in the boardroom and then you've touched on two things that I think are really important for boards to be across around the culture audit and, of course, their key relationship with the CEO. Let's take culture audits first. What's your advice to boards? What should they be looking for in a culture audit? So in a culture audit, what you want to see is it's like the sentiment across the organisation. So it, it needs to be across the organisation. You're not picking just an area. It's across the organisation where you are looking at things like assessments around leadership, assessments on how decisions are made, assessments around policy and process and procedures, that sense of the level of trust. You know, we hear a lot these days around psychological safety. So how safe do people feel to be able to stick their hand up and say, hey, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm seeing, I think that there's something that's not right. Um, You know, what are those avenues and channels? And then also, you know, what's the feedback mechanisms in the organisation so that employees are getting feedback on their performance? And then to what extent does the organisation have the right mechanisms and processes and frameworks in place to actually look after people's mental health and well-being and occupational health and safety? So for me, that culture audit actually goes across a number of different sort of functions and disciplines to really understand what's going on. But I would also argue that that also needs to happen at the board. 
Mm. So you need to actually really understand what's the culture of the board. What are the behaviors of the board and how does that impact? You know, if I go back to my days in corporate, you know, I'd have situations where I'd be invited to, you know, present at a board meeting and I could be sitting outside the board meeting for three hours. Mm. You know, I was scheduled for 10 o'clock and at one o'clock in the afternoon, I am still sitting outside waiting to go in. Now, the message that things like that send is, well, your time's not important. We're the board. We can make you wait. Mm. And you can go, well, you know, they've got big decisions. Yes, I have. But how do you treat people with respect? And all the data shows that the most important thing for all employees is to be treated with respect. So as a board, how are you treating the people that come to your board to present with respect? Because if you're not, that's going to filter through the organisation. And that then leaves a mark where people go, well, this is how the board behaves. So why would I behave any differently? So then what, when it, what happens when it's not going well? When you're being left out the front for three hours, when the board's leaving you out the front for three hours, or your CEO's leaving you out the front for three hours, or your manager, or whoever, whichever layer it is, who's watching over the board? If they are, inverted commas, the top of the tree, who's mm. watching over them? Well, isn't that interesting? Because, you know, the whole, when I started writing Bad Boss, the whole thing was, you know, everybody reports to somebody. And ultimately, you know, board directors report to the chairman or chairperson, chairwoman, and they're accountable to shareholders. You know, it's still a different dynamic because often there's a lag between things happening and, you know, shareholders actually getting enough sort of numbers to really take action. And that's why the role of the chairperson is so important. You know, I've been on boards where very, very, very strong chairperson, really strong in terms of the dynamic, the connections, and also hearing people, but holding people to account. Then the chair left and this Mm -hmm. other chairperson came in. Lovely person, really lovely person. Useful as a chair? Not quite so. And so it was fascinating to watch how quickly the dynamics then shifted. And a couple of people who are directors who could occasionally play politics, that enabled them and gave them more room. Now, I know for me, I then got to a point where I went, I actually don't want to be on this board anymore. And so when it came to time to stand, I said, uh, thank you, but I'm not available. And that was because for me, I looked at that board and I thought, I can't change the chair. They're in here for another couple of years. I can see where this is going and I don't want to be a part of it. Um, And so I, you know, I talk about that in the book because when you think about levels within the organization, you know, there'll be people who go, well, what do I do if the relationship's not working? And so obviously in the book, I talk through a whole series of strategies, but the last thing in the last chapter is vote yourself off the island. If you've done everything, you've assessed the situation, you've looked at the relationships, you've looked at what you can do, you've used a whole heap of different strategies, you've looked at progress and you've worked out, actually, I'm not making the progress that I need to make. Mm -hmm. Then you take charge and you go, actually these are my choices. I can either, I often use the expression, suck it up, sunshine. Um, (laughs) The challenge, we know, as directors, if you're staying there and it's not effective, that impacts your brand and reputation because you will be tarnished by association. And so it's really important to actually go, if I'm not comfortable with this, I need to take a stand. I need to work in the boundaries, confines of how I can work. I need to work with the chair. I need to work with the other directors and work with the CEO and their direct reports. But if I'm not comfortable that things are shifting culturally, then I need to go here, I'm leaving. And here are the reasons why I'm leaving. Thinking about a boardroom where the chair might need some work 
or even an organisation where the CEO does. Taking a step back before people step off the board, what are some of the strategies that board members can use to, to get a bit more constructiveness in either the chair or the CEO of that organisation? That's with them. They really need to look at their own behaviour, their own interactions and really understand what's the dynamic that's at play? What am I contributing to that dynamic? And do I need to shift something? Because it's far easier to change yourself than it is to change anybody else. So start with you and work out, okay, am I not showing up in the right way? Am I not asking enough questions? Am I not listening enough? Have I not read the board papers in enough depth that therefore when I ask a question, it's not landing in the right way? Do I not understand enough about the business and the business's processes and organisational objectives? Are my relationships still forming? Because you know, often when you're new in a board role, it will take a while for relationships to form and dynamics to form. Mm. So start with you and then look at the people who are sitting around the table and understand them and the relationships that you're building with them. And in some respects, you know, it's like the coalitions that you're forming because you are, you're building relationships, you're understanding their agenda, you're understanding what they need, you're understanding their thought processes and how they view the world because that's going to help you when they put forward an idea or a question or they're objecting to something or agreeing to something, you're better able to go, ah, that makes sense. They're seeing things like this and now I can see why they're doing that. That then enables you to be able to go, well, actually, if we looked at it from this perspective, it might mean this. And then if you're really struggling with how things are playing, it is that relationship between you and the the chair to sit down and go, okay, I really want this relationship to work. I'd love feedback. What else do you need from me? How do you think I'm going as a director? What else do you want to see in me? How else do you want me to contribute? So I would start from that lens rather than going in and going, hey, I don't think this relationship's working very well. And here's all the list of things that I'd like you to do differently. So get feedback from them. And then as you're building the relationship, and all of this depends on the strength of the relationship, you know, often chairs won't see things. You know, they can be really busy. They can be, you know, juggling multiple boards. And you may have the relationship with them where you can say, this is what I'm sensing is going on. Are you open to me sort of talking this through with you around here are some of the things that I think are going on that may not be quite landing the way they could land or they may be able to land better. And, you know, good leaders really value having someone who can help open their eyes. Um, you know, if I go back to my days when I was in corporate, I had a lady in my team and she was fantastic because she would be the one occasionally she'd just go, hey, Michelle, do you realise that when you did this, this mm-hmm. is how it went down? Mm-hmm. And because, you know, I think I'm doing something and it's landed really well because it's got good intent and I feel like I've articulated it really clearly and everyone's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually they're walking away going, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so having someone go, I think it hasn't landed. So then I've been able to go, right, okay. I need to reassess why has it not landed? What else do I need to do? And then have conversations with people, still keeping the confidence of the person who has shared with me, because that's important to actually make sure I'm not throwing them under the bus, Mm. Um, but making sure that I'm then articulating more clearly or actually listening more deeply, because what are the reasons why it hasn't landed and what else do people need to feel comfortable and it really just shows the value, doesn't it, of, of board evaluations or 360 reviews in organisations and those sorts of things, because it does give a bit of a framework for some of those discussions to happen rather than somebody having to stump up and say, okay, we need to have a conversation, which can be incredibly difficult. 
Yeah, and it's also recognising, you know, different people come to boards with different experiences. And so one of the boards that I've been on, there's lots of lawyers around, um, the, and there's some people from the judiciary and stuff like that. And, you know, they've never worked in an environment where there's performance management because yeah. they don't have that in the judiciary. Whereas coming out of corporate, you know, my whole life has been performance managed because that's what you do. You have performance review cycles, you have bonuses. So very different. And so when you're talking about some of these concepts, it's totally new to them. And mm-hmm. so that's the thing. Look at the people who are sitting around the board table, understand their backgrounds. And so therefore you can bring a lot of value to the table as a director. When you're sharing some of these ideas and concepts and talking about 360s, there may be people around the table who go, I've never even, I've never even had that done. And what is that? So helping them understand the value that it can bring. And so when we've done board evaluations, it's been really helpful to get an external person. So it's independent. They come in, they interview all the directors, they interview the chair, they interview the CEO, some of the key direct reports in the organization. And that's then given us real tangible data of things that we can work with and do differently. And I think the most important thing with all of that is it's not about finding fault. You're doing this because you want to get better. And so the only way you ever get better is when you've got real data to work with. And, you know, it's a bit like when you ask someone for feedback and they give you feedback and you go, that's not what I wanted to hear. Um, And you go, you've got to take the feedback and hear it. It might hurt, Mm. but the whole point of doing this is going, thank you for the feedback. Now I actually know it doesn't make that the feedback doesn't make it fact but it's a person's perspective. And so you now need to understand what do I want to do with that? Comes back to the theme that you talked about earlier about um, a learning environment. You take the information and you learn from it and morph and adapt and so on. Yeah, and I mean, you look at directors, they're in such a privileged position in terms of the access to information, the access to data. And I think that's the other thing when I go back to that comment before about respect. There are a lot of people who, when they come and present to the board, it's a really big deal for them, Mm. a very big deal. And they will have spent eons of time preparing. They Mm. may have spent days stressing out about the fact that they're presenting to the board. So when you then diminish their experience by either not treating them with respect, not giving them the time that they deserve, not listening to them, they then walk away feeling unvalued. They feel less than who they are. Mm. And that has an enormous impact on how they see the organisation and its culture. So then, you know, there's the board's relationship with the chair, the board's relationship with each other, and, of course, the board's relationship with the CEO. What happens when things aren't going quite so well there? I'm I'm guessing there's a, you know, there's the reflection time as well. But what happens in that relationship? What's your advice for boards there? Isn't that interesting? Because that can end in tears, can't it, when it doesn't work out? And in tears and on the front page of the Fin Review. Uh, (laughs) Neither of of which is a good outcome. That relationship between the CEO and the chair is critical. Mm. And I think the other thing as well is it's not about being friends because the challenge is when it's a friendship is you potentially overstep or ignore things that need to be dealt with. Mm. It is a professional governance relationship where there are you know, very clear guidelines as to how that relationship should work and what it's there for. And so, you know, I've seen organisations where they'll almost see the you know, CEO and the CEO's cohort will see the chair as a blocker. Mm. You know, we've got to get this through the boards, almost as though the boards 
going to block what they want to do. And so it's all, it's like a, an irritant, you know, this is something we have to do rather than going, actually, when we take this to the board, this is going to be really useful because it's another set of eyes that are looking at this that are going to help us see this from another perspective and challenge how we've thought about this and the processes that we're using. You know, I can give my own example, and this is, you know, a different sort of level of hierarchy, but, you know, I was on a very, you know, huge project, and we had a project control board, which was chaired by the CEO, and, you know, we have multi-million dollar decisions being made, and our view was we just needed to get the stuff through the PCB. Mm. It wasn't that we wanted them to change it or to give advice we just needed to get it through and you kind of go you think about the language that we were using the language was about getting them to approve it the language wasn't about hey let's take it to the pcb because they'll make it better yeah um our viewers well we're the experts and we have all the knowledge and so i think that's the the challenge in that dynamic is to go okay so you're taking it to another level of governance so what's the value that they can add? How can you shift that lens? So you're seeing it as a value add rather than a hurdle. And therefore I'm doing this because I have to, not because I want to. Mm. And I think when you see it as a relationship where the chair can really add value and the chair also respects the CEO and the domain of the CEO, then you've got a very healthy relationship. And I've seen it in a different context between in one role that I was in with the chief risk officer and the chair of the the principal board risk committee. So they had a direct relationship with each other and they had a great relationship because the chair of the, of the risk committee would challenge, but it was challenged with respect. I respect your domain and I respect your expertise. And also the CRO respected this person's expertise. And so there was this lovely dynamic between the two of them because they were both making each other's work better because of that relationship and that's where it's really healthy and a very functioning relationship in a in a complex environment and also in a complex governance process you know it's exactly the way a a good whether it's a board or any other group that diversity of views and being comfortable enough to bring that diversity of views to make things better to value add you know that are all being better than the sum of its parts is key to that sort of thing and in fact you know, sometimes I think boards or, again, any group of decision makers will walk out and go, oh, great, we're all in agreement about that, whereas that might sometimes be a red flag that if everyone is in furious agreement. Absolutely. I'm going to forget the guy's name who said this, but he used to say, if we are all in agreement, we need to go away and come back tomorrow and relook at our decision uh-huh. because we've actually agreed too easily yes. and that's not a good sign. And I think there's that, there's that challenge between... Now, I often say to people, consensus isn't necessarily a good thing mm-hmm. because when you've got everybody around the table agreeing, what are you missing? Um, and I remember a board that I used to sit in and I was not there as a director. I was there as an observer because of my role in this organisation. And there was one particular director and there were lots of other people in the organisation who used to find her annoying. Ah, oh, she always asks too many questions. And they think, no way, she is good. She's mm-hmm. done her homework. She's read all the papers. She remembers stuff from a year ago. Like she had a very clear, very sharp mind. And the questions that she was asking were very very good questions to really make sure people had thought through why should we be doing this what are the implications what are the consequences what are the costs what are the benefits and I I always had the utmost respect for her oh so many good lessons in this conversation Michelle so 
from, from our conversation around all of these things, what, what are the key points you want people to take away from the conversation we've had today? At the end of the day, everyone's got to own their part. And so it's very easy to go, it's their fault or their fault when something's not working. And I, you know, I often use this phrase, own your part, change your future. Because when you own your part, you're taking control of what it is that you can control in terms of what comes next. And, you know, I look at all the work that I do and and you'd have this too, Helia, in terms of the work that you do with clients. More often than not, it's not the work that's hard. People don't come to me and go, oh, Michelle, help me with my project plan. It's the relationship's not working or there's a dynamic that, you know, that person's just driving me nuts. Mm. There's the relational element and that's the part that people find hard. Mm. But it's also the part that brings us the most joy and happiness when it does work. So it's really worth investing the energy. And that was what the book was all about. And so when I wrote it, and I have to thank my brother-in-law, we were playing with titles. He eventually, he originally wanted to, he said, yeah, you should call it Bastard Bosses. Um, (laughs) And then the publisher said, oh, maybe a bit too harsh. But yeah, the whole concept of the book is bad bosses are not bad people. And right at the front, I do the confession because I was once a bad boss mm. and it was not because I was a bad person. At that point in my career, I didn't know any better. And I've seen good people in really bad situations and those bad situations have brought out bad behavior and they're not who they want to be. And they know that they're not being their best, but they can't see a way out. And so the book is very much about everybody in that relationship, be it, you know, whether you're the direct report or the employee or the boss or the boss's boss or the board, what role are you playing in owning the relationships, owning the dynamics? So you're creating the culture where everybody can be who they need to be. And then you've got that environment where it's a healthy, happy, thriving environment. And, you know, I don't see happiness as that kind of like, you know, we're all sort of singing off and going into la la land and into the sunshine. It's a happy, productive environment. And that doesn't mean that things aren't hard. And that doesn't mean that you don't have the tough conversations. In fact, it means you have those tough conversations and you deal with the stuff that is hard, that is messy. You know, it's the very definition of creating that psychologically safe work environment. Now, I I think I'm going to know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community that they might find helpful? Well, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the book gets released in September. But if people go to the website, which is thebadboss.com.au, there's a pre-order campaign. So if you buy before the 27th of August, there's a whole heap of extra stuff that you get. So there's different packages. If you buy one book, if you buy three or more, if you buy 10 or more. 10 or more is actually incredible value. If I was anyone, I'd just be going for the 10 or more because you actually get free mentoring session. You get free this, you get free that. And if you actually tally up the cost of buying 10 books, it's actually cheaper than doing a one mentoring session with me. So I just go and buy 10 books to get a mentoring session with me. <laughs> Look, it's all designed to create additional content that people could use mm. to actually make this a valuable resource. And there's also um, online resources that go with the book so when you buy the book you get access to online resources as well how fabulous well we will make sure there is a link to that in the show notes as well so people can easily find it michelle thank you so much for being with us today at take on board and sharing well sharing your wisdom not just with us here in the podcast but also in the book that will be a fabulous resource for people in navigating some of these tricky relationships so um yeah thank you for being here today Thank you for inviting me. You, I love talking to you. You do this very well. <laughs> Fabulous. Thanks, Michelle. Hi there. 
It's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.